You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a collaborative platform where we share ideas and inspiration from some of the most successful tech leaders within the industry. I'm Lockie, a principal recruitment consultant here at Evolution, and I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'll be your host. I'll start with James. Uh, James will give himself an introduction, and then we'll work through the rest of the guests as well. Hey folks, uh, I'm James Jones, uh, CTO of Etel. Uh, we're a Web3 company building a fully fit collateralized stablecoin for AUD. Um, I'm passionate about technology and the leadership of people. And then we'll go to Pashami next. Hi everyone, good morning. Uh, I am Pashami Gali. I work as an engineering manager in Atlassian. I'm passionate about coaching and mentoring young women engineers who want to grow in the software industry and leadership uh, of leadership and development of high-performing teams. Yeah, awesome. And Bron? Uh, hi, uh, I'm Bron Tulke. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Yuli Travel, which is a um, the best travel um, management software. Uh, and uh, I'm passionate about all things tech uh, and uh, and also uh, introducing as many women and um, people of diverse backgrounds into tech as possible. And then Azra. Hi, uh, so I'm Azra Coburn. I'm an engineering leader cashier. Um, I'm passionate about helping teams and organizations scale. I've spent the last sort of uh, 15 years of my career in various roles from Java developer to leading high performing teams to solving architectures at scale. And yeah, I'm based in Melbourne. We'll see the topic of the discussion today is working from home, um, how to get the best out of your engineers and also how to get the best out of yourself working remotely. Um, so we'll kick into today's discussion. Um, Azra, obviously your question was, how do you ensure and maintain effective remote communication? Uh, yeah, if you want to answer that first, and then we'll work our way around the panel to gain some deeper insights as well. Last couple of years have been quite uh, quite a learning experience for us all with, with lockdowns and, and COVID. And, uh, and one of the things I, I found immediately is, is sort of maintaining effective remote communication was difficult initially. And it's, I, I certainly found it was something I had to work hard to maintain with my teams. Um, I think a lot of what comes from, you know, just reading each other's body language can be lost virtually. So uh, being really sort of deliberate about communication and how we um, make sure it's still happening whilst working remotely um, was one of my top priorities. Um, so um, how did I go about it? I think um, firstly it was really, um, I think it's really important to make an effort to connect. Um, nothing happens without trust. So um, setting up those recurring one-on-one side conversations and Slack, um, just really putting in an effort to, um, to build a trusting relationship despite the distance. Um, some other things I, I, I like to do is um, clarify expectations around my working style. So this can be as simple as just putting me in my working hours in Slack. Um, working in, in the open is important. So over communicating and sharing regular updates, I, I find really helps. Um, and I think at times, um, especially working remotely and when we're working across multiple time zones, it's it's quite difficult to find a common time for everybody to meet sync. So um, just embracing uh, async communication is important. Um, starting conversations with a document and centering around it can can go a long way before before the need to meet. Just going to say as well. Um, obviously, you said that how to set the expectations of your style of work. Um, for, for me, it's quite interesting. H- how do you get or how do you set your tone? You know, your language tone as well through remote. Because you know, obviously, when you're in person, you can engage with someone and see how they respond. Um, sometimes some people sign off things as passively aggressively or so it seems you know when you're working remotely as well because it's all just text-based communication 
how do you actually set the tone of the conversation or you know how do you navigate around that for me personally um emoticons and gifts yeah. use those like a lot <laughs> um <laughs> Because I think they're, they are a good way to inject tone into text-based conversations. Um, it's like during lockdown or during the, the pandemic, I was at a different em employer who, and I'd been there for nine years. Um, and nearly everyone that was there, you know, I'd worked with face-to-face. -face. And so to carry communications into a remote workforce was quite easy because we had a very established rapport with everyone. But most recently at Etel, I've only been there for two months. Um, and that's a fully remote company. Um, establishing that that rhythm of communication is so different. Um, and so, to, to um, Ezra's point, over communicating has been a massive point. So, I mean, to tell everyone a lot. Like typically, um, in the past, I would uh, for a sick day, which I took yesterday, um, in my pre a previous employer, I just put that in, we use Microsoft Teams, I just put that in into Teams and then sign off for the day. But, you know, with a fully remote company, um, you can't really do that. So, but again, having to overshare what, what, what's going on is, is kind of essential. Um, I actually remember a couple of years ago before um, all the pandemic hit, Somebody made a comment once about the people who sign off messages in Slack and the like using a smiley face as if it was a passive aggressive sort of um, finish. And I took great offence to it at first because I thought, oh, my gosh, I do that all the time. And I stopped doing it for a while. And then one day I realised that's actually – I started doing it again because I realised that's actually such an important part of implying tone because you can't smile. You, you would smile in person at the end of a sentence like that. And even though it might seem like you're just trying to, you know, polish off a really, it's, it's not a snarky comment. It's just a comment and you're polishing it off with a smile because you want to imply that, hey, by the way, all of this was, you know, with happiness uh, in, in heart. Um, and gifts and emojis are one of the best ways to do that. And it also brightens the mood of everybody, I find. I guess as well, what, what is the best way to communicate remotely? Obviously, I'm new to Slack, for example. <laughs> We've rolled it out of the company more recently. I am terrible at it. I still have no idea how it works. Um, and I know that all of you would be way better than I am. But how do you think the best way is to communicate? Is it through Slack or Teams or video call? W what works best, do you think? I think whatever works for your teams and, and those you, who you work with, there is no one single solution that fits everyone. Some prefer uh, a simple message in the Slack while some prefer you you know you have a quick um, talk in a video chat or a Slack room. So I think it's, it's more like a tailor-made solution, whichever works best, follow that. And over the time, I think we get to know the teams and the people we work with more and more. So, I don't see there is a single best solution for this. And is there an optimal amount of video calls you must have a week? You know, how often do you see the team face to face? You know, is there is there a number that works? Or? I, uh, yeah, um, for my direct reports, uh, I, I want to get on a VC at least once a week. Um, and then I use VC or um, in Slack, we use the huddle. Um, 
when asynchronous communication won't work. So if we're brainstorming or trying to solve a problem that needs more rapid communication, um, I tend to, to cut the, the text chat in Slack off and then get everyone on a huddle because you can still uh, solve that problem. You can solve that problem a lot faster. Um, and that's something that everyone at, at Etel does actually. So it's not something that I instilled. Kind of, and it was, we, we did that a lot at um, my previous employer too. The other thing also um, for developers um, at least is um, using the tools that are available to work um, collaboratively. Uh, for example, I'm predominantly a .NET developer. And so we um, we jump into the Visual Studio um, share, share uh, live share or live coding um, functionality, which in fairness can be a little bit hit and miss sometimes, but when it works, gee, it's really helpful. Um, pair programming side by side, obviously you can't beat it. But when you can't be side by side, having tools like that, and there's other tools, you know, that your whiteboarding tools, um, I don't want to start spinning off brands all over the place, but but you know the big ones they they offer really great collaboration. Um, so it's not just even about jumping into a Slack or Teams or Zoom call. It's also about using other tools to be um, communicating um, sometimes in real time and sometimes at the same time as being on a on a um, video call as well. Okay, and then I guess as well to compare, you know how how we used to operate and to how we operate now. Do you think you know communication is is working as well it is in person as well it is now remotely you know is there has it improved or has it dropped off you know do you think that you communicate more being remote because you make a conscious effort to do so i think i find we communicate more uh so more people know about what's going on where in the past it would be a sort of co kitchen coffee chat uh now we, we're sort of broadcasting more um one of the pieces I think gets lost working remotely is the is this the natural bonding human element I don't know that that's being solved for by any of the tools yet but um, yeah yeah cool and then obviously the second question which was brought forward from Bron um, was how to set clear boundaries to ensure that you don't merge your work life and and home life together and I will admit that it's something that I struggled with uh, more recently I actually just started going back to the office um, because I just found it incredibly hard to actually switch off um, so yeah, I'm pretty keen to listen to what everyone's got to say on this topic as well. Yeah, so um, so actually, I'm a I'm a walking, talking example right now of trying not to merge home and work life because I'm actually um, down with COVID at the moment. So I got my PCR test back and it was positive. Um, so um, so that's why I sound more snuffly than I would usually. Um, so I've been I've been working from home now since 2008, and I started my working from home um, life um, as um, before having children. So I've also done both with and without kids around me, um, and. Uh, it's very different, first of all, and um, and talking about, um, you know, in terms of trying to get more people into tech, I think um, the opportunities that the pandemic in a, in a weird way have, have presented now in terms of um, proving that people can work remotely, it's just, it's going to help so much with getting, getting everybody, you know, who even is home with kids, um, you know, in front of a computer as well, um, you can, you can totally do it. But um, the biggest struggle for me was always um, 
distraction, of course, uh, making sure, and this is even before kids, making sure that I um, I started my day um, at a specific time and then took breaks. And when I say take breaks, I mean time boxing it, um, walking away from the computer, getting a cup of tea, going outside for a walk or, or the like, um, and, um, and totally time boxing it. And these days with Slack or Teams, I'll even leave my phone on my desk because otherwise you don't walk away from your phone. You're never disconnected. Um, so so definitely um, laying out those sort of, um, sort of rules that you would do in the office anyway. Like most of us form habits when we go to the office. We get there at around about the same time. We have breaks at around about the same time. We go and have lunch at the same time. Um, and that is really important. And then also when you are working from home, if you get up to, you know, have a, you know, a, a break of any kind, um, if that's not one of the times where you plan on taking time away from the computer for long, then don't walk into the laundry and get distracted with the with the washing. Don't, don't you know, don't open up that dishwasher and check if it needs emptying. Um, but um, but at the same time, also I say that, but I don't practice what I preach because sometimes it is it is really nice to be able to um, to do that um, to be able to think you know I can't solve this problem so just take some time off um, from the problem walk away for a while and use that flexibility that you do have um, and 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 I have spoken to some people in the past who um, when I first had children actually when I had my first child um, one of the one of the um, healthcare workers actually she had previously been working from home and she said she specifically worked nighttime and that worked really well for her she would play with baby during the day and then at nighttime she would start work at about nine o'clock and she would work through until three in the morning and I even tried that and so seeing what seeing what works for you is really important in terms of hours and that may or may not work with your employee employer as well um, but um, we have some staff members um, on our team who I got a I had a PR submitted through by one of our members at 1 30 this morning and and that's fine for me I wasn't awake at that time and I know that they'll probably still be you know resting now um, but uh, and, and so I know different companies are different, but in, in our company, at least, and in my work um, for the last like 14 years of doing this, um, I've always respected flexibility in that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's one of the main ways that you will get that that balance between um, work and life and, well, not merging them because, because you need to be able to draw a line in the centre and say, I'm not working now and and I will also maybe work at a different time later on because I'm choosing not to work now. Um, and, and in that time, turning off the phone. I don't actually get email notifications on my phone these days. I turned them off a long time ago. I do get Teams um, and Slack notifications, but I um, I actually don't get them after 10 o'clock at night or before 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, because again, it was, it was all things that were getting in the way of my personal life because it's really hard to set those notification times up and know when you're going to be away from the computer. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I really resonate with everything you said, Bron. I think, it, uh, yeah, it, I, I, I can definitely relate. Um, I, I think another thing I find really, really important that I've had to learn the hard way is, is um, the need to find a dedicated workspace. So at the start of the pandemic, I would sit on the couch and and that would be my office. It would be so easy to just, you know, open up the laptop again or pick up my phone and check Slack and, and there was no clear separation. Um, having a room that I go into and when I'm there, I'm working. When I leave, my, my day is 
that is done. It's, and I've had to discipline myself not to keep coming back. <laughs> so that's been been a, been a challenge. But I, I do find that uh, that has been quite quite important in terms of setting boundaries. Um, also, uh, I do have small children as well. Uh, so communicating with them those boundaries as well. You know, mummy's in the office, so uh, mm. this, this is work, so to speak. Um, and yeah, th those reasonable working hours are important as well. So um, I work a lot across different time zones. I work um, a lot with the US and, and U UK. So uh, I, I generally start my days at 7 a.m. It works for me and my, my life, but then I tend to finish quite, quite a bit earlier and then it's my, um, my me time for the rest of the day. Actually, um, as well as having a specific workspace, uh, which is, I mean, you know, COVID brain, I'll blame it on, I'm forgetting all the obvious things. Um, but the other thing also is, it's the old thing of get up in the morning and have a shower and get dressed before you go into your home office, because we otherwise we, we all fall into that trap. I've done stand-ups in my pyjamas, you know, um, and it's a joke, it's a laughing point. But I know that also the biggest trap is I'll get to lunchtime and I still won't have left the computer. And because I'm not ready to get out and leave the house, I won't. So I won't stop and have lunch. You know, so so it's like this awful snowball effect. And so you don't take the breaks that you're supposed to take if you haven't started the day properly by getting up, having breakfast, have your shower, get dressed, and then enter the office. And I know some people even will literally walk out of the house, walk around the block and come back and then start work. Um, for me, it's driving the kids to school. When I come back, I start, I switch on my brain halfway home and start thinking about what I'm going to do with my day. And that way I'm actually entering the office space. And, and that actually, Bron, you made a good point, like uh, thinking ahead of the day. Uh, one thing that really worked for me is to plan the day, block your calendar uh, ahead with focus times or when you're out of office and when you're not available. So be very clear with, with your calendar so the team whom you work with understand when you're not available. Um, and that is one way where you can clearly separate out your personal time versus work time. Um, and one more thing which worked for me is to like, whatever is that shutdown time, strictly close your computer, put it somewhere that it's hard to reach. Um, I have seen where though I close off, I keep coming back to check yeah. messages. So one thing that I did was to like put away where it is hard to reach. So you, you actually don't get habituated to actually keep checking your messages um, in this remote world. Um, that really helped me to separate out personal and work time. I play computer games, so I have my laptop and I have my 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 gaming desktop. And I will even, uh, if I know I want to get on and play games after dinner, I will actually make sure I switch my monitor over to the desktop and turn the laptop off so that I avoid the temptation when I first go up after dinner of turning everything on and going, all oh, right, there's that email or there's that yeah. thing that I meant to do. and yeah. uh, and so. I have to avoid it or else I will be tabbing or, you know, jumping back and forth between computers and yeah. it destroys it. And and also if you're living um, with a with a partner or a friend also, it will drive them nuts because they'll be trying to communicate with you and you'll be, oh, hang on, I'm just still doing this email at, you know, 10.30 yeah. at night when you've already worked a 10-hour day. So, yeah. And I guess on that as well, I just want to build on to that point. 
when when is enough enough you know i know that obviously we can work through into the night as long as we want because it's all endless and we're from home you know do you think that you have better days working the longer hours or you know if you actually just shut it down at six and do you still think you achieve the same amount of work throughout the week because for me sometimes i will work through to midnight because it's like well, my laptop's over there and I'm, I'm, you know, I got a bit of a sleep in tomorrow because I'm working from home. So, you know, that I always see it as a little win. Well, I'll work a bit later because I'm sleeping in tomorrow because I'm not going to the office, you know. But then on those days, I don't actually feel like I actually achieve more by working the longer hours than if I did because I would be working more effectively if I just shut down and went to work the next day, switched on. So um, that kind of brings into the next question, obviously, Pushami. How to celebrate wins in an isolated environment, you know, to ensure that motivation is high um, for, for me as well. I guess on my side, I find it quite difficult to know when I've had a great day. Obviously, if you put a plan together and you tr you know you try and tick your way through it, you know you, it does feel refreshing. But when you are sitting alone in the office, you know you might have had a great day, but you know without people to celebrate it with you, for example, you know it doesn't actually feel too rewarding. So yeah, I'd be pretty keen to see how you celebrate wins with the teams or for yourself individually. You know how you go about that as well. I think that's a very interesting and important question as well. Uh, I think motivation is something that keeps all of us uh, log in and keep working, right? Um, when I remember when we trans like uh, as a team when we had to work start working from home due to pandemic, that was one of the uh, challenging uh, where we wanted to celebrate a recent win and everyone. Uh, were uh, had this big question like how do we celebrate we are working remotely that was the toughest challenge but I think uh, humans evolve they evolute and they actually get used to the circumstances um, some of the things that I've learned for the last couple of years right don't wait for a big moment or a milestone to celebrate success right there are always small wins that you can actually call out like taking out name of an employee who actually did a good job went above and beyond to deliver something call them out in in your team meeting Pat, pat on the back or a kudos would actually make their day. Uh, day. Uh, that's what. That's one way, and there are more ways. Like as a team, uh, celebrate successes, make it a habit and a culture to have a team lunch. Um, it can be fortnightly or a monthly, where you forget work and just talk. Like you talk over a lunch or a coffee. Make those rules and um, talk about. You know what? What as a team we actually win, and what we have done differently. Uh, some of the ways is to actually like um, recognize the employees in the leadership meetings uh, in a way that the employees know that they have been recognized, and their leadership actually uh, recognizes the awesome job they have done in making you know recent deliverable or fixing a recent customer bug, um, which which would motivate an employee. <clears throat> And 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 then I think when it comes to motivation, there are in many ways an employee can be motivated, and it is like every employee is is very different. Some would love uh, a, a little gift package or a chocolate or a flower um, to to feel motivated, while some would love their name to be like uh, given a kudos or mentioned on a on a page um, saying that they have done great job. So. I think understanding the team as well is very important here. Like, how does your team get motivated? Some may get motivated uh, by giving them like an extra two days of innovation time, or 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 um, give them an opportunity to work on their idea. So there's there's many ways, um, and I think you need to important uh, aspect is you need to understand your team 
what what makes them motivated okay so it's not necessarily a one size fits all you know the best way forward is to actually understand each member themselves and how they receive you know or, or they like to receive for example so for me i like to get gifts um you know i like walking into my office and having a sticky note on the desk saying well done yesterday or something like that you know something yeah. that is a visual representation of of what i've done um i don't necessarily like receiving uh, calls um or you know someone telling me how good it was because i find it a little bit awkward to go back as well and say yeah, yeah. i did a great job so i just like to receive the notice and move on with my day um, which i know a lot of people do so it's yeah, quite interesting to see um, on that as well does anyone have anything else to add about how they celebrate with their team or yeah i think i just uh, echo uh, those those comments uh, that um it is very very in individual i mean i'm like you lachlan i i don't like being publicly called out um both positively and negatively negatively obviously um but um uh in my last employer we used to have really big retros you know we had quite a big it team we had the whole it team attend retro and a lot of people got a kick out of being um uh, celebrated in in that um and i think the leadership group there did a good job of encouraging that kind of feedback um and then the the feedback can be or you know wins can be are celebrated formally and informally. I think Rashami talked a lot about the in, informal way to celebrate that. Um, uh, I think performance reviews, which you know shouldn't be done annually, but if you you have a much more regular performance review um, uh, cadence, doing that and sharing that can also be a good way because and much more immediate too. You know, if people have a re, string together a really good good quarter. Being told that is quite a motivating force or can be quite a motivating force to the people. I think the underlying point, again, that Rashad Min um, highlighted is that it's individual. You've got to know what works for all of your people. So establishing rapport and understanding how your people are motivated is the key. Um, on a, in terms of personal motivation as well, um, kudos and um, and um, and those sort of you know gifts or um, or the like are, are great as you said for team members. Um, personally, also though, um, motivation can come from something as simple as um, ticking off items on a to do list, um, or you know actually like having a, having a board where you've written up your your goals. You know, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to say you know write out your goals, write out your dreams, um, because um, when you are working in an isolated environment as well, you you might not think to do that. And if you were in an office place, guaranteed that those sort of things would be somewhere up in the office, whether it's you know your your board of um, your actual, you know, physical um, board, scrum board, or or whatever, um, or if, you know, even even with um, performance reviews, um, you often have your goals written down. You've you've worked, you've planned out your goals, so actually have them written down somewhere around your desk, um, and and on a daily. Um, you know, daily go through your to-do list and tick things off. I, I particularly love the Microsoft to-do app because when I tick complete, it goes ting, and I love that. That feeling is such a great feeling. Um, and little motivations like that keep you personally motivated um, without even, you know, having any external factors. 
Yeah. And then one thing I want to throw in as well, just to get some feedback, how do you motivate people now when you were heading towards sort of tight deadlines? So I know that traditionally, you know, back when um, everyone went to an office every day, you know, you might get pizzas in and ask everyone to burn the midnight oil and work through to 6am because delivery was focused. But now everyone's dispersed around. How do you actually encourage people to go the extra mile and to motivate them through to midnight? You know, is there, is there a way that everyone does that now or because obviously well, you we, could order pizza to their house or something like that, or you know, pizza's not the greatest example. But um, you know, whenever I take references, you know, that's always brought up that he came in on the weekend or she came in the weekend, uh, delivered the work for us. You know, would sit in the office to the early AM. This is how we would celebrate, and they were always a great team player. How do you actually push people to do that now remotely? I, I think um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, let's actually stop that. Let's let's stop the crunch times, please. Yeah. <laughs> let's stop the need to order in pizza for a midnight release. Um, but seriously, though, you obviously can't avoid some, you know, some late night releases or, or weekends because we we work in a global 24/7, um, you know, world, um, and you've got to find just the right time to switch off your software for updates or whatever. Um, and so I've actually been involved in um, in little projects where we have delivered little little boxes um, to to people um, where we could. Um, even I've even done conferences where that's happened, where you've received a little a little box that has your food treats that arrives on the day of the conference. So you could do that sort of thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think also whenever we have a release, and we do our releases every two weeks, we we run um, fortnightly sprints. Uh, we we go go go. Um, and we actually are all on a call for for you know three or four hours on the day of release, and it keeps us together as a community, and we celebrate those wins as we get closer and closer to it. So that's one way that we make sure that also that we're all all together uh, and all feeling motivated. And then we tell we we force each other we we you know, we make each other take breaks as well, and and you know stop guys time to go and have lunch, and you know stop the crunch time. So. I think just to add to that, um, I think a, a, a team itself can be quite powerful, a powerful motivator as well. I think it's really important to embed empathy and appreciation in, into our team culture. Um, I'm a big believer in leadership by demonstrating and just often I find just by me starting to sort of, you know, do the thank yous and, and publicly others start doing it for each other as well. And it's uh, they encourage each other and motivate each other to keep go to uh, pursue whatever goal they're, they're trying to pursue. Um some things i think it's a trust like your employees trust you that they would get enough time off for the work hours that they put in these things are unavoidable in software uh, world where you somehow end up with like oh a last minute bug right so being very open that your time that you're spending is not like your personal time it's it's for a company and you will be rewarded in giving a time in lieu and, and trusting with the hours that they put in, like don't go into that mode of how many hours, how many days, just trust your, your employee. If they come in, say, I want to take three days time in lieu, go for it. That is when you build the trust. Um, and next time uh, you, you see more volunteers to, to spend that additional time to reach the goal, but they know that they will be rewarded. Yeah, awesome. And uh, that'll pivot us to the next question as well uh, with James. So how do you establish a high performance culture in a new and growing remote team? Um, and what, one thing I want to touch before you start answering James as well is how do you actually build trust in a team that you've never met? Because uh, obviously you've joined a new company uh, fully remote. You, you may not have met many team members. How do you actually trust an individual that you've only met on the other side of a computer screen? To answer that, that, that question first, uh, 
just lots of VC was how I did it. Uh, you know, getting to meet the individuals and those one-on-ones aren't about work. It's about the individual establishing a rapport and actually getting to know them on a human level, not just on a work level. So, um, uh, you know, I haven't been there that long. So that's, that's an ongoing process and does, does take time and it takes, um, it's, it's different for each individual. Um, you know, some people you can build a rapport with very quickly. Um, just like, you know, when, the real world you meet some people like yeah i like this person you get straight into a rhythm with the person but other people it's like chipping away at stone so um it is it is an an individual thing um but i i I think trust is about a human connection so you've you've got to know the person you they they have to know that that you're you're honest about what they want out of it and that that you're you are there to help them achieve that so um People aren't to be milked in a work context. They're they're there for their own own reasons too. So you have to un- understand that. So, okay, so um, transparency is the best way, basically. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, how do you establish a high performing culture? I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this. It's why I'm asking the, the, the question. I really. Yeah. Want I want to know what what other people think of this. Um, um, that, that is, I mean, in my previous role, when when we were, I, mean, I, I thought we did have a high performing culture, but that was something that was established when we were in the office. You know, we had a hundred and something people in IT, and they were in the office. Um, but that was a culture that was established in the office, and when we moved to the remote world we were able to, to to carry that on but establishing it in a remote setting is different so um i'd love to hear what other people have to think about that i think the um yeah culture of spot the trust that you spoke about james it's really it's it's really important in establishing a high performing team nothing will happen without it so spending time together and um getting to know each other and trusting each other building their trust um Team spirit, it's quite important, well, very important actually as well. So no heroes, we're in this as a team, we're doing this as a team uh, and, and us as leaders can help form their culture as well. So not not recognising individ- recognizing individuals for the efforts they've put in, but recognising also the team effort as a whole. Um, and also culture of feedback. So I think um, asking the five whys, when things go wrong, why? keep asking why, and it's never personal, it's never about the individual, it's what, what can we learn from this as a team and how can we improve better? Uh, the, all of these go, go a long way to sort of uh, creating that, that team environment where they feel safe to, to, to work and deliver to high performance. Um, I think it's a very interesting topic of how you build high-performing teams and what are high-performing teams. Uh, I am actually onboarded fully remotely to Atlassian for the last one year, and um, and it's an interesting experience of how you build trust with the teams, where most like half of the team are actually onboarded very remotely, and building the trust. Um, as James already said. Um, Trust is something that you can build over the time. Like you can't just all of a sudden say, hey, I'm a best leader, trust me. It doesn't doesn't happen that way, right? Like you build the trust in your one-on-one communications and supporting your team when they need. Um, uh, And that's important. One of the important aspects of a high-performing team, trust each other. 
um another important aspect is autonomy like um team works autonomously like when can a team work autonomously is when they know their goals very clearly uh, like how the work what they are doing how is it connected to the organization's goals so that's very important to give the clarity give that clarity to the team um in not just delivering the work but letting them know that uh, the value of the work that they are delivering and how that is connected to the overall organization goals and and giving the clarity would automatically set the right um autonomy autonomy in the team they can make decisions because they know their goals and they know their priorities and and i think it is same whether you work in uh, in the office or in remote world as we already spoke and touched based about the communication over communicate let the team know very clearly um and and give them the freedom of decision making and as a leader you support them uh, where they need help um that actually really worked for me for the last one year and 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 i think it's it's it probably will work for everyone like set those um you know make set the clarity to the teams why they are working towards what they are working and how is it tied back to the organization goals yeah so in terms of how to establish a hub forming culture um i just want to throw something out there as well obviously to establish one you have to build a team um so to construct a team and i wanted to get everyone's feedback because we talked about trust and obviously now that we're hiring people remotely uh we use reference checks or references as a way to do so um i wanted to get everyone's thoughts on on references itself because you know as a recruiter i've actually never taken a bad one and that that's me being honest you know no one really gives a manager that's ever going to give them a bad reference i know people are slightly honest <laughs> in their opinion about how they work you know as engineering managers you do it you don't have to answer this as well do you think they hold any credibility at all in terms of you know when you're building a team you know do you make a decision based upon a reference that you get given or do you just go on your gut feeling about you know how they represented themselves you know how their code base might have looked and and what your interpretation of them was um it's actually it's interesting that you asked that because since you started talking about references i thought gee i haven't actually checked references on the last couple of hires that we've gone through um because i've actually yeah. been in a position um where i have received a reference call from somebody who i would not have given a good reference for um and um and i was really surprised and it made me reflect at the time and think what are the point of references here like almost always now it's a very strange situation but people people are going to give the reference to somebody that they think is going to give them a good reference and i can get I can get just as much information about, you know, what I can get I can get a good idea of what that person's going to say anyway by talking to the person I'm hiring and trusting that they're talking that they're telling the truth about, you know, their experiences and what they did at that job. Um so I it's interesting I just, you know, on the side completely breaking the rule. I have actually received one of those phone calls where I wasn't a good reference for the person, but I didn't I didn't actually give the bad reference. I just said, "Look, I'm not actually comfortable taking this phone call," and ended it there. Um, so even then, they didn't, you know, they didn't get a um, a bad reference, quote unquote. They just didn't get a reference out of me. Um, but yeah, I've I've pretty much given up on calling on references because I prefer to sit down and talk with somebody over over video calls these days. Go through a technical interview, um, see what their actual skill set is, um, and get a feel for for them and how well they'll fit in the team through talking with them personally. 
I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't find references hold a lot of value because, like you said, people will give you the, the people they get along with uh, best. I, I, I do find you can get a lot out of uh, situ situational type interview questions, though, so getting, getting the candidate to actually walk you through how they how they would approach different situations. Um, I think that speaks a lot more than, than a reference. I disagree with that. I actually think references, if done well, can be really powerful. And I think that's where the agency does add a lot of value. Um, and it, it is down to how the, the, the reference check is, is carried out and the kind of questions they're, they're asking. I think also information around the like the the meta information around the reference, like who are they asking? If it's just coworkers, then that's kind of a red flag. Like if it's not their current manager or the manager at their previous and at their most recent em employee, then that's why. Why haven't they chosen the manager? You know, I mean, it yeah. could be that that, that particular manager, um, you know, old school type A manager that that just thinks people should work in a career type thing. Or, you know, but if if they're not like that and the company doesn't have a reputation for that, the fact that they haven't chosen that that manager is a red flag. And also, what if if they are using co-workers at at what level? You know, are they peers or are they seniors? Th those kind of things. Um, but I think a lot of it does come down to the the, the questions that that the the agency is is asking. So I mean, I gave a reference for um, someone just the other day that helped get them a job, helped get them across the line, and that's not. I'm not doing that to, you know, to put, you know, to blow smoke up my own whatever. I'm just, it, it was, it was a, it, the, the reference was a defining factor for that role. That that particular role had two really good candidates that they were struggling to to differentiate. So the the reference can can make the difference for the yeah. individual. I agree with what um, uh, with what Bron did though. If you're uncomfortable giving the reference, you shouldn't. A reference should be an honest reflection of the person, um, and if you do choose to give it, then your on your answers do have to be honest. So, and that's that's the skill of the agent. You know, if they can if they can elicit that information or sort of get a sense of what the person is trying to say without being as blunt as are saying it, then you're kind of getting them. You're getting the yep. other negative answer. But, um, I actually no, agree. Yeah, I agree agree with James here that um, references are important part. Like you can't know everything about an employee when you speak uh, in a one hour interview. There are some um, on the job experiences and 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 behaviors that references can actually uh, provide very great insight into how an employee works. And I, I think James, you're right saying like having the right set of questionnaire and asking the right questions there is actually makes the references valuable. And 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 it's just one way. Like I don't think like just a positive re reference we shortlist an employee, but it is one of the ways to get the feedback. And you you collate all your feedback make sure everything is aligned like your experience when you're talking to the candidate versus what the reference is and and, and it's just one of those that feed into this um, selection um, exercise that's what I feel. Okay so in terms of references they are important and they are very useful as long as the criteria is set as to what questions you're asking so uh, for me I know that I've taken some really good ones in the past where there was a particular technical problem 
on a project that really needed to be solved and they really needed to be sure that this person had done X, uh, you know, Y, Z and, and obviously the manager did say, yes, he rebuilt this for us and it was amazing, um, blah, blah, blah. There's also been some very poor ones where, you know, if you just follow the same criteria and the same script, you know, would you hire this yeah. person again? Everyone says yeah. yes, you know, because regardless, they wouldn't have given them. Um, so I guess in terms of hiring a remote team, uh, we've got to the foundation that if you were in that position, a reference is a useful tool to get to know someone on a wider scale, as long as the criteria has been set with um, the hiring manager and the agency. Um, one thing to note as well, if you, you know, you might find this beneficial, I found it quite good more recently. There's a company I work with that has actually taken the reference with me. So we've had a split way call with the hiring manager that way that I don't have full control over it and I can't have a biased opinion as to why the candidate is good because at the end of the day, you know, my job is to put people into new roles as well. So, you know, they are able to passively control the conversation and I'm able to steer it from um, an external side as well. And I found that really useful. You know, I've not only got better buy-in with the end company because they trust me a lot more because everything is quite open and honest, um, but also they've got quite good trust in the new individual that they're hiring because they've got a deeper insight from the hiring manager too. So, yeah, well, I found that to be really useful. Um, doesn't have to happen all the time, but yeah, that's something that's worked really well recently. One thing um, that I will say though, and actually um, you, you've actually convinced me now, I've, I've, you know, a few of the things that you've all said there have made me think, well, actually that's a really good point about references. Um, but um, I will still say uh, written written references where where I, I had a, a situation about a year ago where somebody asked me to be a reference for them. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll happily do that. I loved working with her. She was a great employee. She was a great developer. And so they sent me a survey, like a written thing where I, as you know, and I'm thinking, I'm a very busy person, like, you know, not to blow smoke up my own butt, but um, I don't have time to sit there and give really long-winded written examples. And also I'm the sort of person who will write so much if I if I have that opportunity. So so I get sucked into it. So I, I did keep it pretty high level, um, but I really thought I did the best job I could to convey the fact that she was a great candidate for them. And um, she came back to me the next day and said they thought that your reference was bad. And um, and I felt terrible. And she said they thought that you were, you know, that you were so brief that you mustn't have thought that I was really a very good person, a good, good worker. And I wrote and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so, so sorry. I, I didn't want that to, you know, to come across that way. And uh, and I, I you know, I, I was disappointed with the format of the reference because I didn't have time to sit there and write out a really lengthy response. And there were a lot of questions, right? Um, and I said, if anything, I think the review process is really flawed. But I hope that, you know, that, you know, you can tell them I'm more than happy to talk on the phone about you and, and definitely give you, you know, a great reference. And she actually folded that onto them. And with that, she got the job. So thank goodness for that. But, um, but you know, that method of, of um, getting references in particular, I would raise a red flag on that right now. Like, you know, talking to people, um, not only does it mean that it's easier for them, like a reference shouldn't be work for the person that you're getting the reference from, or else there's a good chance that you're going to end up with a, a lacklustre reference. And it's not fair on the uh, candidate. If, if that's the case. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, you're going, James. No, I was just going to say, I think that sort of speaks to the earlier point that the, the success of a, of a reference largely is defined by the agent giving it you know, and, and the 
right, that they, they just do it. I totally agree. It should not be an written or a survey monkey format. It has got to be a conversation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of today's podcast. Uh, thank you all for joining us.